Well, it's been a good day. I mean, being a four-tier guy, I hope I don't blow it, man. All that good music and everything like that. Man, I really do. I enjoy being here, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. And I was thinking, man, watching that video. And after that video, I, I want to join this church. Man, I, can I, I'm going to come for membership today, Brother Farinell, so I'm just giving you a heads up. But honestly, if I did live in this area, this is exactly where I would go to church. And in fact, uh, one of the young men from our church moved up here for work and has been attending here. Josh, good to see him. And uh, in fact, I, I'm kind of bitter about you taking him from us, to be honest with you. So it's kind of hard to preach with a good spirit here today. But uh, anyway, uh, this is a good church and gl- good, glad to be here. Well, Adrian Rogers is a well-known preacher, and he said everyone needs three homes. You need a home for your family, you need a church home, and you need a heavenly home. And I know that this uh, church's emphasis today, if, you've, if you're visiting, you need a church home. And there's something, nothing quite like having a church home. Uh, I don't live by my parents. I don't live by my in-laws. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, but anyway, uh, my, my in-laws live in Alaska. I live in South Carolina. So, man, it's a good deal. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, just kidding on that, honestly. But uh, I, I really don't live by any of my family. None of them. My family has become my church family. And I'm uh, thankful, thankful for that. I've got many grandparents and parents and crazy uncles. You know, every church has a crazy uncle, and every family has a crazy uncle. And, uh, man, if you don't have a church home, I hope you find one today. But I do want to preach to you this morning about knowing, uh, having a heavenly home. So if you have a Bible, turn to that first book in the whole Bible, Genesis. The first book in the whole Bible, Genesis. And uh, I want to show you a few things from the very beginning and talk to you about having a heavenly home. The title of my message this morning is Restoring a Right Relationship with God. And that's really what the Bible is all about, is restoring a right relationship with God. And I want you to see that this morning. If you're able to stand, would you stand with me, please? We're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. The Bible says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now if I pause there, this is exactly what continues to happen today. Somebody's always trying to get you to doubt the, the, the truth and the veracity of God's word. And then somebody's always trying to teach you that God's holding out on you. If you live for God, if you do what God says, then you're going to miss out on something. That's exactly what's happening here. No, God didn't really mean what he said, because God is holding out on you. That's what the serpent pitched to Adam and Eve. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. I'd like for you to look over just verse 21. It says, And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. So I know it's an unusual story here, and I want to unpack some truths in it and some ideas from it. And I want to talk to you again about restoring a right relationship with God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the stirring music that we have been able to hear. I thank you for the truths that they have presented to us in musical form. And I pray that our spirit would be in tune to your word. I thank you for the privilege to worship with these people today. And I pray that you would be exalted and uplifted. And I pray that you would draw someone to yourself today. Please fill me with thy spirit. I need you. I'm a sinful, frail man. And I cannot accomplish anything in and of myself, and I need you to use me today. I pray that you'd fill this congregation with your spirit, that they might listen with ears to hear, and that you might make a difference in their life. If somebody is here today and they do not know you as Savior, I pray today they would get saved. 
And for those that do know you, I pray that we be right before you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It's been about two years ago now. I was uh, preaching. A, I, was, I was away preaching a meeting like this. I was away from my family. And I uh, got a phone call, check, checking in with my family, talking to them. And uh, my wife was telling me that she and the kids decided to get a dog. And that's always exciting when they get a dog while you're out of town, you know. I have five children. I, I say I have five monkeys. Why would I need a dog, you know? And so I, I wasn't terribly too excited about this idea of having another responsibility because dogs make messes, dogs cost money, and you have to find somebody to look after them if you ever go on vacation or something like that. How many of you are dog people? All right. How many of you are cat people? We'll pray for you. Uh, but anyway, uh, how many of you are no animal people? Keep them out of my Right, exactly. I understand there's all kinds. So they got this dog, but this should have told me something because they went to the pound. My, my wife, instead of, my wife's very frugal, Proverbs 31 lady, so she went to the pound uh, to get this dog. She didn't pay for a, a high, high expensive breed kind of dog. I guess this is the kind of dog that fits well in our house anyway. Uh, but, you know, she's sending me pictures and the kids and they're all loving it. Well, this dog is a mutt. I mean, it is a junkyard mutt of a dog, okay? Uh, let me describe him to you the best I can with language. Uh, he has the head of a beagle, the chest of a pit bull, the front legs of a basset hound, the, the body of a wiener dog, and the brain of an idiot. All right, so he's just kind of like a bunch of jumbled parts put together, you know. And uh, hey, quite honestly, he's brought a lot of joy and laughter in, into our life, and so we do actually kind of like him despite of what I, I say about him here. But I want you to kind of envision in your mind, here's, here's what happened. They went to the pound, and uh, at the pound, the, the cost of the dog was going to be $30. Now, this included all of his shots. Uh, this included, you know, fixing him up uh, and, and just all of that kind of stuff, $30. But they told my wife when they were taking the dog, they said there's a sale on it. I didn't know pounds had sales on dogs, but they said there's a sale today, and this dog is only 6 bucks. Now, that should have told us something right there. Because I believe we paid five, $5.50 too much for this dog, to be quite honest with you. Now, here, here's where I'm going with this. This dog, I mean, literally, you, you understand. I'm not, I know some people might be bleeding heart toward animals. But you understand at the pound, if some unsuspecting, ignorant family like mine doesn't show up and pay $6 for this dog, you understand what eventually happens to these dogs, don't you? I mean... So we could say it this way, my dog was on death row. Are you tracking me? He was on death row. Then this nice family with five kids shows up, takes him home. Now all of a sudden, this dog is living in a climate-controlled environment. He has overtaken a recliner. Like, you understand, now this recliner in our house belongs to him. I mean, like, he will give you the look if you're sitting on it. So he went from death row, track me, to the penthouse. I mean, that's what this dog did. He now has his own chair. He has five children that will rub his belly and scratch it, and they feed him scraps from the table all day long. I mean, this dog went from death row to the penthouse. Now, I have never in my life seen my dog come in like this. I mean, he loves to eat. I mean, he's a typical junkyard dog. He, this dog loves to eat. In fact, everybody in my family, I'm Michael, my wife's Mindy. We have Molly, Matthew, Macy, Mary, and Mark. We should have named this dog Moochie because he is always wanting to eat, eat food from your table, right? And I have never seen this dog get, get his dry dog food in the morning or scraps from your table. I, we, we, give him, we give him some dog food. I've never seen him pause and bow his head before he tears into his food and say something like this. Oh, dear God, one day I was living on death row. My life was just a snap away from ceasing to exist. And along came this family, this precious family that took me in. And before I devour and consume this food that I did not pay for, <laughs> I want to pause and thank you for bringing me from such a bad place to such a good place. 
Amen. I've never seen my dog. Now, I know some of you might say, some of you here think your dog can actually talk. No, he can't. My grandma, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. My grandma was a big Cincinnati Reds fan. Some of you that are older, you'll remember this name, Pete Rose. My grandma always had a poodle. God help poodles. But anyway, and she would look at this poodle and she would say, who's the best baseball player? And that dog would go, and she'd say, see, it said Pete Rose. No, it didn't, grandma. No, it didn't. So you might think that you might think that your dog can talk. No, he can't. And I've never seen my dog pray and give acknowledgement to God. You say, why? Here's why. Because a dog has no spirit. It has no spirit. You say, what do you mean? A spirit, the spirit in us, is the part in us that allows us to relate to God. It allows us to relate to God. See, a dog has no... You, I know they have personalities. I know they're like part of your family, so I'm not trying to rile up all of our pet lovers here. I'm just simply saying they have no spirit, they have no consciousness or awareness of God. They don't. That's why there are no dog churches. Now some of you are sitting here like, well actually I know of another church where you can bring your dog. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a people church that had the crazy idea to bring their dog to church. It's not a dog church. It's a people church with dogs in it. What I'm saying is you have never found a wild pack of dogs in the backwoods of Seattle and you go and you stumble upon this pack of dogs and they have constructed and built a church. It doesn't enter into the brain of a dog. They have no spirit. They, they have no consciousness and awareness. They have no relation to God. Why is that? Well, understand that in all humanity, deep within us, we know there is a God because God has created us that way. He has stamped it upon our hearts. Even an atheist is a theologian. They are talking about God. They are thinking about God. Now, their view about God is different than ours, but they are aware of the concept of the idea of God. My dog has zero concept of a creator. He just wants food from the table. We know there was a God for a couple of reasons. We were created because the world demonstrates design. Isn't that interesting? Man, I, I love coming to this part of the country. What a beautiful part of the country that you live in. Now, I think where I live is a beautiful part of the country as well. But man, it just doesn't matter where you go and you look and you see the grandeur of Mount Rainier. Or you, you, you see the, the, the beauty. I was, I was in Texas not too long ago and saw a canyon, right? I mean, flat plains, boom, canyon in Texas. It was, it was beautiful. And where we are uh, at the foothills of the mountains, not far from the beach. I mean, this is a beautiful. And you look and you see where God, uh, what God has done. And we see that this world that we were creating, it demonstrates design. We know that this, whoever this creator was, that what he has created, we know that he is good because there are so many good things. And the Bible teaches us in this passage and earlier in the book of Genesis that we were created by this God and we were made in his likeness and his image. And what does that mean? Does that mean our God has, you know, two eyes and a nose and a mouth and ear? No, the Bible actually says that God is a spirit. And so he doesn't have an image in that way, the visibility like we would see human. So why does it say that we were made in the likeness and image of God? Well, it means in a lot of ways. Uh, but the primary way I would say this is we are a trichotomous being. That means there are three parts. There's a fancy way of saying there's three parts to us. For example, today you are looking at my body. What a handsome body God has given me. <laughs> right? I mean, I have a body. All right? But I also have a soul. What's the soul? That's, that's my personality. And we all have different kinds of personalities. Some of you get my jokes. Some of you say, you're really not that funny. But, but it's my personality, right? I have a personality. And everybody's different. Some of you in here are pessimists. Some of you are optimists. And thank God for both. I'm thankful for the guy that says, man, you can do it. And I'm thankful for the guy who goes, I don't think you should do that, right? I mean, that's a blessing in life. And some of you are wired differently. Some of you are very quiet and very reserved. Some of you are the life of the body. We, we have a soul. That's our personality. That's our, our, our mind, our will, our intellect, our thinker, our feeler, our chooser. That, that's us. But we also have a spirit. 
Told you that it's what distinguishes me from my dog or you from your hamster or whatever pet you happen to have. We are different in that respect because we have a spirit. We have this uh, uh, part of us that can relate to God. God set us apart and made us three-part one being. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons to one God. Hard, hard concept for some people to get, but you're not looking at three people today. You're looking at one, but I am spirit, soul, and body, right? Y'all tracking me so far? Are you with me so far? So God made us this way. And when Adam was created by God, in Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man in the dust of the ground, breathing his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so we find here in our text that Adam was physically alive, and he was spiritually alive. Now, in the Bible, to be alive means to be in union with. To be dead means to be separated from. Now, we can kind of understand that, right? If someone we love dies, we are separated from their soul and body becomes separated and becomes separated from us. And, and so we understand this idea of being alive, being in union with, and being dead, being separated from. Well, Adam and Eve here, they found themselves that they had a perfect relationship with God. They were connected to him. But when sin entered the picture, we became disconnected. You ever been disconnected on a phone call before? Don't you love when that happens? You're just talking to a friend and you're talking away, talking away, talking away. And all of a sudden you go, are you there? And they're not. And you call them back and you say, all right, where did I leave off? And then they tell you and you're like, man, that was like 20 minutes ago, right? And you have to go back. You've been disconnected. You, you understand how that works? Well, we have by our sin been disconnected with, from God. And so... I want to ask you this morning, do you have a relationship with God? Are you connected? I like to put it this way when I, when I talk in our church. I, I put it in this terms. That are you 100% sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? That's a good way to think about that. Am I connected to the Lord? Am I connected to God? I want to give you this morning just two truths. Two truths we need to understand to be connected to God. Two truths we need to understand to be connected to God. Number one. We must understand what sin has done to us. We have to understand what sin has done to us. Before we can begin a relationship with God, we need to understand that that relationship has been broken. Now, it's not been broken by something that God has done. It's been, by broken, it's been broken because of something we have done. And the, 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 what have we done? We've done sin. Now, I know that we like to be positive people. I, I do, too. And, and, and I know we don't like to be negative. But the, but the Bible claims that sin has a hold on everybody. So we have to talk about it. I mean, before you can solve a problem, you've got to know what the problem is. And so, again, I know sometimes there's been a label against Christianity. I mean, like, you're just against everything, and you're just negative, and all you want to talk about is sin. I, I understand that stigma and that label that's been put on people, but, but I am suggesting today, if we're ever going to fix a problem, we've got to know what the problem is, and our problem is sin. Sin involves any deviation of God's perfect plan and God's standard of perfection and holiness. So therefore, when you talk in terms like that, we can understand that every one of us is sin. Every one of us has a problem with God in that respect. I mean, the Bible tells us don't lie. We've all lied. And, and by the way, it doesn't matter what country you go to, what side of this country you happen to be on, the East Coast or the West Coast. Everybody knows that you're not supposed to lie. And everybody knows that if it's my stuff, uh, don't take my stuff because it's mine, right? I mean, we, we all know that. We all get that. It doesn't matter where you go. Everybody understands these laws. Why? They're stamped on our heart by a righteous God. And none of us have ever kept this perfect standard of holiness. I can illustrate to you like this way. I, I, I'm getting older now, and so I, I don't play as much basketball as I once uh, used to. I, I like to play basketball. and I've, I, 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 I'll tell you this. When I was a teenager, I won a dunk contest. Now, I know it's hard for you to believe. You look at me and say, oh, man, you know, I've always heard white men can't jump. You didn't win no dunk contest. Well, I absolutely did win a dunk contest when I was, I think it was about 10th or 11th grade. The problem was it was at a youth camp, and, and uh, they lowered the rim to uh, nine feet, and I won on, on, on uh, nine feet. So it really doesn't count. Why? Because I lowered the standard. You, you understand? I never quite could dunk on a 10-foot rim. I wanted to. I, I, look, I could dunk a tennis ball. You impressed? No, that doesn't count. That's, that's not the standard. I even got to where I could dunk a volleyball, but I could not ever get to the place where I could dunk a basketball. You see, man always wants to change the standard. 
It's kind of like I heard of a farmer. He, he, uh, he, his friend came over to see him, this farmer, and as he was walking up the way, he noticed his farmer friend had this big barn, and on the side of the barn there was all these bullseyes, I mean bullseye after bullseye, and there was an arrow right smack dab in the middle of that bullseye. His friend got up, and they started having some fellowship on the front porch, and he said, you know, we've been friends for a long time. He said, but I didn't know you were into archery, and I didn't know you were so good at it. And I came up, I saw all these bullseyes and an arrow right in the middle of the bullseye. And he said, listen, I'm not into archery. He said, man, I don't have time for that, and I definitely don't do that. He goes, I got to tell you, there's a boy around here in our community, and he ain't quite all right in the head. And he said, he'll come over to my farm, and he'll shoot his arrows at my barn, and then paint a target around the arrow. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what mankind has done, isn't it? I mean, that's what we love to do. We love to live our life and do what we want to do and then, and then paint, paint our target or, or around our arrow and say, see, I'm a pretty good person. Well, you're a pretty good person compared to some other person that you don't think is as good as you. Or, or, or yeah, you're a pretty good person according to the standard of righteousness that you have created. But God, the creator, cre he's the one that declared the standard of perfection and standard of righteousness. And he has given us the target in which we're to shoot. And the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Meaning this, we have not always hit the center of the target. Not always have. Now in our text in chapter 3 here, I want you to notice something. That God had given Adam everything that every person I know is wanting in life. God had already given it to him. So what do you mean? Look at it. He gave him a garden to work in. Now, I don't know about you, my wife loves working in the garden. She loves doing landscaping. I told her, that's not my thing. That, that sounds like work to me. All right, so I'd rather be out on a golf course. She'd rather be in the dirt planting things. And so we made a good arrangement. I'll mow the grass. You just better label what you don't want me to run over. Right? <laughs> so whereas you say, well, you gave him a garden. Listen, whether gardening is your thing or not, here, here's, the, here's where I'm trying to go with this. God gave them a purpose. He gave them some significance. And every human being I know on this planet wants to have some purpose. And in fact, suicide rates, as they, they increase in our country, do you know what a lot of that is involved with? What is the purpose of life? What is my purpose here? Well, and they're searching for some kind of significance. And I want you to know, in the book of Genesis, Adam had what every person I know is looking for, and that is significance. They had a purpose, they had a reason, they had some productivity in their life, and, and, and they had what mankind is looking for. I want you to notice what else they had. They had security. I mean, everybody wants security in their life. I mean, the Bible even tells us uh, back in chapter 1, it talks about how, how God had given them uh, this security and told them to have dominion over, over the, the, the field that they had given them. Everybody I know is looking for security. We, we hear things like financial security. We, we hear, th like, I just flew here in the airport. I mean, man, we, go, we are willing to give up our, our individual liberties in order to feel safe and secure. I mean, people in relationships, they want to know that their spouse is going to be faithful because they want to have security. Listen, I'm telling you, kids want to know. One of my, I'm into writing letters to my kids. I write a lot of letters to my children every week. And, and, and one of my kids finally, and, and teenagers don't do this much, wrote me a letter. I mean, I've probably written them dozens and dozens of letters. And one of my kids wrote me a letter. And I think it's the only one I've ever gotten from them. And I, and I value and I cherish it. It said this. I, this is one part of the letter that they wrote me. They said, I'm so thankful that I don't ever have to worry about you and mom splitting up. And I'm glad that, you know what he was saying to me? That child was saying, there is some security in my life because of you. Everybody wants security, and Adam and Eve had it. I want you to notice, not only did they have significance and they had security, notice that they had society. God looks at Adam and he says, man, poor guy, it's not good that he be alone. I'm going to create somebody else to be, to, to be sociable with him. Now, even if you have a hermit tendencies in here, I know some people are more loners. Listen, hermits only get weirder. I, I mean, I'm telling you that right now. But because God didn't create us to be loners all by ourselves, he, he didn't. 
And, and I know that some of us might be a little more introverted and want to be a little more private, but you still, even in your privacy, you long to have your circle or your connection or your group or your people. Look, he put the solidarity together in families. Everybody wants a family unit. They want at least one friend in life. I mean, th this is the way God created us. And he had this. He had fellowship with God, his creator, and he had fellowship with Eve, his wife, and they had a society. And remember the first commandment that he gave him, be fruitful and multiply, and then they started having children, and and there was this societal unit. What I'm saying is he had everything that everybody ever wants. That's what he had. But when he sinned, he decided to live independently from God. That's the essence of sin. I'm going to do it my way. Who cares what God says? I'm going to do what I want to do. Isn't that what our society is doing right now? I'm going to do what I want to do. Who cares what God said about drunkenness? I'm going to do what I want to do. And look at what it's created for us. Who cares what God says about sexual morality? I'm going to do what I want to do. And look what it's created for us. We have decided, and we could go on and on and on in this list. I'm not trying to be on a hobby horse about anything. I'm just simply saying that's the essence of sin, living independently of God. And Adam did this. When he sinned, his spirit died. It was separated from God, and the body began to die. It was separated from the, It would ultimately be separated from the soul. But understand, sin not just affected his relationship, it affected his soul, his mind, his emotions, his will, his thinker, his feeler, and chooser. It did all of that. Look at what it did. I want to point this out of the text, because this is very interesting to me. First of all, I want you to see this. It affected his mind. It affected his mind. Have you noticed that our world has gone crazy? I just saw today, I'm from Ohio, I just saw today, th this, this happened like, like this week. A man in the Dayton, Ohio area went into a store with a gun to rob it. He brandished it and he pointed it at the people in there and said, give me all your money or I will shoot you. The clerk in the store had a gun himself and said, I'm not going to give you my money. And the guy said, I'm going to shoot you. The clerk took his gun and shot and killed the criminal. Then the man's family that got shot and killed is yelling at this guy, this man should have never had a gun at work. <laughs> so it's okay for him to have a gun to rob you. It's not okay for him to have a gun. Our world has gone crazy. Right? But that's what sin does to all of us. So it, it, sometimes we like to stand over here and go, that guy's crazy. We're all crazy. That's what sin does to you. You say, what do you mean? Let me point out to you in our text. I grew, let, me, let me tell it to you this way. I grew up in church all my life. I'm a church brat. So like nine months before I entered the world, I was singing in the church choir. You all know what I mean? Okay. I drooled on the church carpet. I wrote my name in crayons in the church hymnals. I knew all the old ladies in church that had candy in their purse. I read chick tracks when the, when the preacher got boring. I, 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 listen, I grew up in church. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay? And, and sin, it messes with the way you think. Because when I was a kid growing up in church, I was taught some basic lessons about God. Here's one of them. God is omnipotent. And that's a big word for little kids, but it means this, and I was always taught this, God can do anything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I was also taught this, that God is omniscient. Well, that's a fancy word for a six-year-old, but that just means God knows everything. And I was told that God is omnipresent. That just means, oh, my mom liked that one. God is everywhere. Don't you, don't you love church parents? God's watching you, you know, right? Exactly, so we know that God is everywhere. Now, here in our story, here's how sin messed with their mind. They eat of this fruit, they sin against God, I'm going to live how I want to live and do what I want to do, and when they did, immediately, they're like, uh-oh, let's hide. Now, let's, let's go through this thought process here. I just declared to you that God knows everything. So he knew where they were hiding. <laughs> Second of all, God is everywhere. So when they left this place to go to that place, he was already there. <laughs> Sin messes with the way you think. That's why we are living in a culture where 
you say up and they say down, and it's just, it's just backward from everything that, 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 that the Bible tries to proclaim. It, because sin messes with the way our mind works. Notice it also messes with our emotions. Emotions here, you find in the text that immediately once they sinned against God, they were affected by dominant negative emotions that they had never felt before. Adam and, Adam and Eve were not only darkened in their mind and their understanding, but they also became, for the first time in their life, fearful. Now, I don't know about you, this is, this is October, so Halloween month. I've never understood, me personally, why people like scary movies. You might like that kind of thing. I don't really care for that. I mean, like, haunted houses, ghouls and goblins, like, I don't like being scared. I don't. I, I don't I, because I don't, I don't like the emotion of fear. You know, fear to me is a God-given gift, but it's like an alarm clock. Any morning people in here? Okay, I hate all of you. I hate you. All right? I, I, now, I've been a morning person today because I, I actually slept in until 4.30 your time. That's 7.30 my time. I'm usually up and at it far before 7.30, but... Man, I felt like I was a hero getting up at 4.30. Really, honestly, no human being ought to get up at 4.30. That, that's just like ungodly. <laughs> but your alarm clock, I mean, are any of you like me? I mean, when that thing goes off, it's the most on-purpose, annoying sound in the world to get you out of bed. I mean, like, ah. And if I could ever get my hands on the guy that created the snooze button, I will hurt him. Because how many of you are like me? You set it like, you know you need to get up, let's say, at 6.30, so you set it at 6.05, just so you can hit it several times before you, how many of you, come on, be honest, you do that, yeah, my wife would like to hurt me for that, because my wife is a morning person, and so she's like, why do you do that, you know, but anyway, I digress, my point was, I don't like the emotion of fear, that's a God-given gift to alert us when something is wrong, but nobody wants to live with constant fear, in fact, we have another word for that in our culture, it's called anxiety, and we live in a very anxious society. And nobody, there are a lot of people on prescribed medication to get rid of this feeling of perpetual fear and anxiety. For the first time in their life, they felt this. It wasn't a good thing. Sin had affected their emotions in a bad way. Then you're going to find, too, how many of you have figured out we live in a very angry world? Man, just play with your phone when the light changes and find out how angry our world is. The light turns green, and it's green for a millisecond. And go! You know? Just angry people just looking for a reason to be mad at you. Well, look what happens in our text. I mean, it's not too... In the very next chapter, Cain kills Abel. And anger and murder... I'm telling you, sin affected our emotions. I, I need to hurry. I know I'm taking too long. Here, but it affected our will. Do you realize that in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, they could only make one bad choice? One. One. God had one rule. And he said, why did he have that one rule? Why did he say there was a tree? One tree he couldn't eat. I'm getting ready to give you the answer. Are you ready for it? You won't like it, but this is the answer. Are you ready? Because he said so. Now, how many of you hated that when your parents told you that? Hey, listen, how many of you became parents and then started telling your kids? Because I said, uh -huh, see, see, some, sometimes I'm telling you, that's the answer. Because when I asked you how many hated when your parents, I saw so many teenagers like, man, I do, I hate that. You will be a parent someday and you will look at your kids and go, because I said so. And God gave this rule simply because he's God and he said so. And that ought to be good enough. But it wasn't good enough. And they took the one... One rule. Could you imagine, wouldn't it be nice in our society if we had one rule? If you're an Andy Griffith fan, how many know what Andy Griffith is? Remember Barney when he gave the rules of the jail? There's one rule here. Obey all rules. <laughs> you know? Wouldn't it be nice if there was one rule? There was one rule, and they broke it. And then they had one rule that was, a, that was negative, that was bad. But when they did that, friend, it unlocked a world of Limitless possibilities. I don't want to be too digressive here, but, but I tell you, what we have today is a lot of people sitting over here going, this world's so terrible. This world is the way it's been for, for millenniums. It, 
some, some people unfortunately think God died and morality ceased to exist in 1957. America was bad then. And Paul's day was even worse than our day today. But what I'm saying to you is the difference, I think, from our culture right now than maybe my father's generation is not that humanity has changed and it's gotten worse. It's that our opportunities to sin are far increased. I talked to you about shoe choices. My dad said when he was a kid, there were only two choices of shoes if you played basketball. You got Chuck All-Stars and you either got them in low tops or high tops and you, even got, or you, and you got them in black or white. How many of you remember those days? Okay. He said the other option was PF Flyers. He said nobody wore PF Flyers. Go buy some basketball shoes today. I just bought some basketball shoes for my son. The, the, the choices are limitless. But we're still the same. What I'm trying to get at, and I've probably taken too long to say it, I've just been having fun talking with you. Sin has absolutely corrupted us. It's messed with every facet of who we are. Our minds, the way we feel, the way we act. It's, it's permeated everything about us. And because of that, sin has completely separated us from God. So you have to know, and I know I've used some humor today, but, but listen to me. That's just because this is a natural outgrowth of my personality. But listen, sin is no laughing matter. It has messed us up big time. And it has broken our relationship and our fellowship with God. So I'm going to give you the second point, and this is, is very important. We have to, first of all, understand what sin has done to us. Number two, we need to understand what Jesus has done for us. Man is in such a mess with sin that only God can solve it. And that's why Jesus came. You know, maybe you're a guest here today. Maybe you haven't been in church much in your life. And so you've heard this choir and they talked about wonderful grace of Jesus and they talked about, I'm amazed because my sins have been forgiven. And they, they're talking in these terms. But what are they talking about? I want you to understand this morning that Jesus Christ is God who became a man. Why did he become a man? So that he could live a life that you and I could never live. He was perfectly sinless in the way he lived. Could you imagine never, can you imagine this? Never having a bad attitude. Come on. We get after our teenagers all the time. You have a, have a bad attitude. But how many parents would testify and be man enough to admit or willing enough to admit this morning that you have corrected your teenagers for a bad attitude while you had a bad attitude? Yeah, exactly. Could you imagine never having a bad attitude? Never do, he, he lived the life that we were supposed to live in complete obedience to God. He lived the life we could never live. Then they took him and they crucified him. I mean, surely you've heard that story. They took him and they nailed him to a cross and he died. And that's why we sing about his blood being shed. His blood was spilled. Why? Because in the Bible, the innocent, we see this in this text, the innocent would have to die for the guilty. Remember in this text, Adam and Eve, I always get a chuckle out of this. They tried to cover themselves with an apron. Does not anybody else laugh at that? Remember, they were naked before, and they said, oh, man, we're naked. Let's make an apron. <laughs> right? I mean, but that's what man is always trying to do. Look, I'm, I'm, <laughs> i got to cover myself, so I know what I'll do is I'll get baptized. That doesn't cover it all. I know what I'll do. I'll just be a really good person. Listen, you can do a thousand good things. It's never going to take away the bad things you've done. It won't cover it all. So God took an innocent animal and made a coat that covered. You see, when Jesus died, he was covering our sins. That's why he shed the blood. He, was, he lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we were supposed to die. And you say, well, how do you know this made God happy? Because for three days he proved that he was dead in a tomb, and then on the third day he resurrected. You see, this is all makes lot, this is not, this is not fairy tale dust stuff. This is, there's a logical reason for why God did what he did. You see, the empty tomb is like a, a receipt. You go to the store, you purchase something, they give you a proof that it's been paid for. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, it proved that your sin had been covered, it had been paid for. 
There's a lot of things that I could say about this, but I want you to understand. Somebody wrote this quote, and I like it. At the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed all of your sins so that through faith in him, God could treat you as if you had committed all the righteousnesses of Jesus himself. But I want you to know that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection don't automatically accomplish a restored relationship between us and God. It just makes it possible. You see, there's a word that we use a lot in Christianity. It's called faith. And faith is, is not a misguided belief in things we know that aren't true. Faith is really an action word. It just means to depend. My youngest son, Mark, he's a real character. I wish he was here. You, you would love Mark. I mean, he just got a double dose of personality and twinkle in his eye. And he's a little bit of a, a stinker, but he's fun, you know. And, uh, but one thing about Mark, I mean, he's just into everything and excited about everything. He gets fired up about everything. I mean, he lives life. Just, I mean, like he wakes up fired up. But he doesn't like, he, he's afraid of heights. And, and, and I, I mean... Like one time he rode this ride when I didn't think at an amusement park in California and it wasn't that big of a deal. But I said, did you like it? He went, mm-hmm. I said, you want to ride it again? Mm-hmm. Right? He doesn't like, he doesn't like it. And, and I'm the kind of dad, I think it's my job as a dad. You know, every one of us has fears and we respect those fears, but I want to push you a little bit. Yeah, I want to push you just a little bit. So I remember when he was a little guy, maybe this is why he's so scarred, uh, but... <laughs> I would take him and put him on top of the refrigerator. And he'd be sitting there. And I'd be like, come on, buddy, jump to me. Come on, man, jump to me. Well, don't you want to get down? Well, then jump to me. Come on, man, I'm your dad. Don't you think I can catch you? Don't you think I will catch you? Then jump. He'd be up there for hours. No, no, no I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I, I'm taking that. But he, he never would jump to me. Why? He wasn't willing to take that faith and put it in me. Do you know, I think there's a lot of people that do that. They think, well, I know Jesus can save me. I know Jesus would save me. Well, would you call upon him and put all your faith and dependence and trust in him? No, I'm not ready for that. You see, there has to come a moment in time where you take what faith you have, and we all have faith, it's just a matter of where do we put our faith. A lot of people in our culture want to put it in humanity itself. A lot of people want to put it in morality. A lot of people want to put it in religion. A lot of people want to put it in, in all kinds of things. But we have to put it in the right place for it to be effective. So we must understand what Jesus has done for us and we must trust him. You know, some people think they're going to heaven because they say the right words. Some people think they're going to heaven because they do the right works. But again, my question for you is, have you put your faith in the right object? You see, I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins, and his resurrection proves that the payment has been accepted, and I'm trusting that and that only to take me to heaven, and that's why I can sing like we sang this morning, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. I want to tell you one final story. Thank you for listening. I hope I haven't worn you out, and I hope you'll come back tonight. And as we move forward in this week, I'm going to be preaching on more subjects geared to the Christian and challenging us in that area, but... It's very important to me this morning that if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you take care of that today. My final story to you is I just want to tell you my testimony. I told you I grew up in church, so I had a measure of morality taught to me. I had a measure of religion taught to me. But I still had a broken relationship with God. I got saved as a child. I heard a gospel message, and here's my testimony. There was an evangelist that came to our church. His name was Don Short. But Don Short was not short. He stood six foot six tall. This was back in the 80s, and so he had kind of a permed hairdo. And so his six foot six frame with that hairdo made him six foot eight. And when you're a little kid, wow. Don Short, I guess, you know, I'm told that if you're over six foot five, you're, you're in the top 1%, 1.2% of height in the entire world. So he was six foot six, and people... Must have always, I guess you just always assume when you're tall you played basketball. And that must have annoyed him. Because I remember being around him and somebody came up to him and said, did, did you play basketball? And he had a classic answer I'll never forget. He looked at me and said, do you play miniature golf? <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny. I thought he was, he was awesome. I was sitting over on a pew like this, feet dangling. My parents 
usually wouldn't let me sit anywhere else with them because I'd get in trouble, but they would let me sit by the preacher because they wanted me to think well of gospel preachers. And I was sitting up on the front row by him. He'd keep a package of certs, those gold-foiled, round containers of certs, and he, he'd put one in his mouth before he'd go up and preach. I just remember that for some reason. And he would turn before he'd go up and preach and give me one. I thought that was really cool because my parents wouldn't let me eat candy in church. And so I was like, ha, the preacher gave me one. What you going to do about it? But anyway, <laughs> I remember he went up that night and he preached. And he preached a message on hell. And Don Short wasn't the kind of preacher that pounded the pulpit. I don't mind guys like that. I really like a guy that gets with it when he preaches. But, but he, he, he didn't preach that way. But he was, he was able to tell a story that just captivated your attention. I remember as a six-year-old boy sitting there listening, and he would say something like this, everybody's a sinner, and he would start talking about that. You know, for the first time in my life, I knew that. I really did. I knew that everybody was a sinner. I'd heard that. I heard that in my home. I heard that in Sunday school. But you know, when everybody said, when they, when they said everybody's a sinner, up till then I thought, that's right, everybody's a sinner, especially my brother. <laughs> but that day, it was, whoa, I'm a sinner. I have violated the holiness and righteousness of God. And this isn't funny. This is me. He, he, he began to say, everybody that sinned against God will face the judgment of God and the wrath of God in a place called hell. And for the first time in my life, it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Before it was, yeah, sinners die and go to hell. Now it was, I'm a sinner, and I'm going to go to hell. And I don't want that. Then he started telling the story of Jesus. And I remember, man, he, he told it. I mean, he talked about the soldiers plucking his beard out and spitting on him and whipping him and doing all. And, and, and I mean, I was just, now here's the thing. Listen, I had grown up in church. I, really, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being facetious here. I could have, as a six-year-old boy, gotten up and told him that story. But for the first time in my life, I realized Jesus didn't die for the world. He died for me. And he started talking about how you need to put your faith and trust and dependence on Jesus. You need to trust him to save you from hell. You need to trust him to take you to heaven. And, and you know, before I might have sat there and gone, yeah, man, somebody in here needs to do that. But that day I was like, I need to do that. And I remember him saying, if you're here and you don't know that you'd go to heaven, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Man, I was on the front row. I didn't know who was behind me. And my little hand went up. And he said, uh, like in typical preacher fashion, God bless you, I see that hand. And after the end of the service, I remember he came and he got me. And he went and got my parents. And we went back. And he took me in the back of the lobby and he opened up the Bible. And he showed me I was a sinner. And I deserved to go to hell. But that Jesus didn't want me to. And he died for my sins. And he rose from the dead. And if I would just by faith ask him to save me and trust no one and nothing else, then I would go to heaven. And that day I did. And when my faith met his truth, my relationship with God was restored. What had been broken by my sin was now put back together by his grace. And over these years, I've been saved for 35 years now. And over these years, there have been things that I've done that hurt the heart of my God. But because my relationship was restored that day in 1984, I've had a relationship with God. And at times it's been rocky. And at times it's been not what it ought to be. But it's been there. And I'm preaching to you this morning because I don't want anybody to leave this service on this open house Sunday and not know you're going to heaven. You don't have to leave not knowing this. And, and, and for those of you who say, well, I've already taken care of that preacher. I know what you're talking about. I'm amen. I'm, I'm glad I've been saved. Then wouldn't it be nice this morning to make sure that everything is just right between me and my Savior as we begin this revival meeting? There's a twofold application this morning. So let me ask you some questions. I always like to ask some questions when I'm preaching. My question, first and foremost, and most importantly, is this, is are you saved? Now that's Christian jargon, that's church talk. For are you saved from sin, are you saved from hell, are you going to heaven when you die? Do you even have a relationship with God? That's what I'm asking you. 
I like to ask it to my congregation this way every Sunday. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? If you're sitting here thinking, man, I hope so. I sure would like to. I think I got as good a chance as anybody. If you're saying those kind of things, I want you to talk to somebody today so you can say, I know I'm going to heaven. Not because of what I, what I do or don't do, but because of what he has done for me. Second question is this, is are you right with God? Maybe you've had that relationship restored, but maybe there's something in between you and your Lord. Wouldn't you want to deal with that today? Wouldn't you want to take care of that? I have a friend who's a preacher in the mountains of North Carolina, and he always says this, are all hearts clear? He said that after every service, all hearts clear. Listen, we're going to try and embark into what we call a revival meeting tonight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I hope you'll be here. But wouldn't it be nice to just go ahead and get our hearts clear so that we can hear what God would say to us in these evening services? Here's my final question, and I mean it, I'm done. If you have been saved, aren't you thankful that you are? Man, I'm so thankful. And sometimes our hearts just need to be overwhelmed again, because honestly, I'll have done my job this week if I can leave here and you are excited about the fact that you're saved. Because let's be honest, I, I pastor a Baptist church in the South. I think some of my members were baptized in vinegar. <laughs> and there's no joy in their life. And I know we don't all express it the same way, but I'm simply saying, man, are you thankful that you've been born again? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting me preach. I hope I was clear. I hope I was helpful. And I pray that you would just work in our midst. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I do not want to embarrass anybody. I do not want to put anybody in an awkward position. I would never make you do anything you don't want to do. But I wonder, is there somebody here this morning and you'd say, Preacher, if I died today, I do not know that I'm on my way to heaven, but I would like to just know more about that. I'd like to know more about what you were talking about. I don't know that I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to know more about it. Is there anybody like that? Would you raise your hand? I promise I won't embarrass you. I promise I won't put you on the spot. I promise I would never make you do, I couldn't make you do anything you don't want to do. Is there anybody like that? How many of you say, preacher, I know what you're talking about, and I have been saved. I've been born again, and I have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand as a testimony to that? God bless you. I appreciate that. I hope that your heart is right with him then. Maybe in just a moment as we have an invitation time, I'd encourage you to maybe just come forward at an altar and maybe just thank the Lord for saving you. Maybe there's something you need to confess to get some things out of the way to clear so that your heart is right with the Lord. Would you stand with me please this morning?